0: seated and turn to Romans chapter 14. Uh, is, there, is, is Josh in here a young man named Josh? I think he's in children's church. Is, is a young man named Josh in here? Probably in children's church, right? I don't know if he graduated out yet. Uh, just, a, just a little word about, you know, you, I know you see kids and I know you're aggravated sometimes, but if you would have seen what what I was, what I see almost every Sunday morning is a young man named Josh bringing his sister across the bridge, sometimes riding their scooters. He can't ride the scooters now because he's got even littler brothers and sister, and uh, so he's pushing a stroller. But, um, you know, I think think that would remind you why we do what we do. You know, if you saw a little Josh coming across, maybe he's, let's say he's 11, coming across the bridge with his sister that's maybe eight. And then he's got even smaller ones that he wants them to be in church, you know? That's what it's about, right, John? Working over there with the kids, right, Mickey? Where's he at with with, with uh, Sunday school? Some of you helping out with Awana. That that's what it's about. And we appreciate it so very much parents who allow the kids to come, sometimes encourage them to come, and for parents also that bring them to church. Well, you found your Bibles and you found Romans chapter fourteen. Romans chapter fourteen. We're gonna we're gonna. I just want to read verse one, and then we're gonna we're gonna go through today, verse thirteen down through the end of the chapter. But verse 1, just to remind you of where we are from last week. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Those are personal preferences. You've heard this phrase, to dwell above with saints we love. Won't that be grace and glory? To dwell below with saints we know. Now, that's another story, right? Right? Now, I'm certain that on any given day, most of us would have to admit that we just didn't quite see eye to eye with someone. We had a preference that was different different from their preference. It may be a boss. It may be a husband or a wife. It may be your parents. It could be a teacher. But somewhere along the way, you have a preference that is different from somebody else's preference. But to disagree is really part and necessary of the human condition. If there were never any disagreement, do you think we would ever have any new ideas about how to do something, right? If there were never any challenges to the status quo, there would never be any room for personal growth or maturity. If there were never any conflict, no mistakes would ever be corrected. In fact, if you and I never disagreed, you've heard me say this before, if you and I never disagree, eventually one of us becomes unnecessary if we never disagree. But the real trick is to disagree without being so disagreeable. Thank you. We must deal with diversity without, being, uh, without so much dissension. Share our convictions without being so contentious. Differ without creating disunity and of course that's easier said than done right so what happens when Christians disagree? It's an important concept even if we can't agree on what to do about but I think the Bible is going to give us some pretty clear Instructions the premise of all that we do in the church must be that little chorus blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above the psalmist wrote, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment that the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion. We're not talking about unanimity, sameness, but unity within a great diversity of people. It requires no less than love for one another and so much the more love for God as we see the day approaching. Now I'm not particularly stimulated by conversations with people that just always agree with me. At the end of the day though, to be able to say that this conversation we've had is based upon one thing, that we both love the Lord and we both want the same thing. By the way, that's why I often say other than just reading of scriptures where you'll find places like be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers I think it's important that a young person seek to marry another young person within their faith because at the end of every conversation, at the end of every disagreement, at the end of every trial, there is one thing that will sustain you, and that is that at the end of the day, you still both love the Lord. That's what will hold the marriage together. Well, it changes your whole perspective on disagreements if you can first agree on what you love. You love the Lord above all else. How then can we disagree on these doubtful disputations, personal preferences, without creating division, without being so disagreeable? Well, last week we discovered that in matters of personal preference, we must first receive one another. First 12 verses, and why is that? gave you some principles. One is because we've been saved by the same Lord. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Who am I then to kick you out of the family, right? Sustained by the same Lord, God is able to make me walk, stand, he's able to make you stand. Why then should I put someone else down that Christ is bringing along? Surrendered to the same Lord and ultimately subject to the same Lord. I remember that when I stand before the Lord, God is not going to ask me for my opinion of you. And when you stand before the Lord, He is not going to ask your opinion about me. And it has never ever occurred to some people that God can bless someone with whom I disagree because you think you're right, so everybody else must be wrong. The blessings of God are seldom dependent upon you and I agreeing but that we always learn to love one another. And yet to balance out love, Paul gives the next great lesson for times when Christians disagree on matters of doubtful disputation or personal preference and that is in your notes today to edify one another. Edify simply means to build up, edifice, to build up, edify one another. Romans 14, I want to read all the verses together. Down to the end of the chapter, verse 13, Romans 14, verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, so we know that we're to love one another, now in terms of judgment, that no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth a thing to be unclean, to him it's unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy him not with thy meat for whom Christ died. That's a personal preference. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God, the authority of God, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify one another. For meat don't destroy the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it, if it, it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor any other thing whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith in this matter? Then have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing that he allows." And he that doubts is damned if he eats, because he eateth not of faith, because this very familiar phrase, whatever is not of faith, is what? It's sin. See, if Paul had stopped with the first admonition in the first 12 verses, simply receive one another, we'd probably be left with a false impression to hear a lot about today, that Christians are just to sort of love everybody, and we just leave everybody alone, and, uh, I don't know, que sera, sera whatever it will be, will be right you know as if to say that's just the way it is there's nothing we can really do about it In verses 1 to 12 the emphasis was on the master servant relationship the idea that we are all servants in the same household under the same authority of God various responsibilities but all serving the one and same master our Lord Jesus Christ and in love we receive and appreciate one another for the contribution that each makes to the household of God now, verses 13 and to the end of the chapter, Paul focuses on a brother-to-brother relationship. So we see master-to-servant relationship, now brother-to-brother relationship, and in love we edify or encourage or build up one another. And as I put it in your notes, you may be very free to act in your conscience toward God, the first 12 verses, your conscience before your authority, which is God, but to understand. There is a constraint that we must maintain from brother to brother among the fellowship in the verses that we're looking at now. To help us understand, I've lifted just four principles. I'm sure you can find a lot more, but four principles to consider, first of all, is our effect on one another. Number one in your notes, our effect on one another. And you look at the verses again, verse 13, 14, 15. Consider your effect on somebody. Verse 13 suggests that you might be a stumbling block. You would be the cause of someone else falling into sin. Uh, Verse 15 suggests that others might be grieved by your actions, the Holy Spirit himself, and that you might even destroy. You might destroy another brother in Christ. It's the kind of effect that a strong Christian can have on a weak, by expecting or even demanding sometimes more than their conscience is prepared to accept. You remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, back not in terms of the scriptures, it's forward, but back in terms of when we went through the book of 1 Corinthians. And when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, a similar circumstance is discussed. And the question was something like, should Christians eat meat that had been offered to idols and now being sold out the back door of the temple in the alley? Should we eat that meat? Or by buying that meat, are we somehow supporting the worship of idols? And Paul's comment there was that if one would eat, then the conscience of him that is weak, the person that says we ought not to eat, then perhaps he would be emboldened to eat those things which he says I shouldn't be eating. And now you are causing maybe a conflict, but worse yet, that this young person, I say young, it could be older, but somebody weak in the faith, young in the faith, might, by by seeing you do it, say, well, it must be okay, but it's not clear in their conscience, and they do it only because of one thing, and that's because you're doing it. And now you've created a stumbling block, an offense, maybe even destroying the young Christian. So then the stronger position, which recognized that idols can't corrupt meat, caused the weaker brother to go against his own conscience. Remember, whatever is not of faith for you is, in fact, sin for you. The point Paul is trying to make in both cases really had little to do with the meat that's offered to idols other than as an illustration, but to understand that knowledge alone, what you know all by itself just puffs up, but love builds up. So there's a balance that we must maintain. Love alone without knowledge quickly disintegrates. That's why Paul told young men, by the way, to dwell with your wives according to knowledge, because if you just love It won't sustain the relationship. On the other hand, knowledge without love discourages because knowledge alone can't provide the passion that a relationship needs. Knowledge expressed in love often gives deference to the other person. It seeks to meet the need of the other person. It seeks for the benefit of the other person. That's what love is all about. So without a balance of knowledge and love, our disagreements quickly deteriorate into a divided church. Consider, for example, something that today is probably commonplace. <clears throat> I know, though, there were there was a day we used to have, what, Blue Laws, I think they were called? And it used to be, uh, you know, we, we tried to pick a restaurant that didn't serve alcohol. Can you imagine trying to find a, a favorite steak today in a restaurant that didn't hold a liquor license? Can Can you even find that today? But there was a day, just to use it as an illustration, there was a day when we would, we would maybe, for deference sake, maybe try to find a place that didn't promote alcohol and we would eat there instead of there. So in our knowledge and for deference sake, we might make that choice. At the very least, your knowledge would have guided in your decision. The point is this. Don't make the preference of things like what you eat or where you eat to become the issue. Because in those things, we will always disagree. But in love for one another and for the sake of your own testimony before others, you may defer to their conscience in your choice. You might say, well, that's not fair. Oh, really? Don't forget what Christ did for us. It wasn't fair. Again, this is just an illustration of the effect that we might have on others. Is it really worth your choice of stake? Just as an illustration. Is it really worth your choice of stake to offend a brother? Well, of course not. But it's not about going around trying to please everybody. So again, there's sort of a balance here. You're not trying to parlay all the wishes of other people and try to you know, always please everybody all the time. But secondly, in order to build up our fellowship, you have to consider your acceptance of one another. So your effect and then your acceptance of one another. Verse 16 again, Let not your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. So who are you then to disapprove? Acceptance. The question might boil down to something like this. If it's acceptable to God, then who are you to disapprove? It's like the Pharisees. We have a way of majoring on the minors. Uh, for example in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 Matthew 23 and verse 23 just again as an illustration Matthew 23 and verse 23 woe to you scribes and Pharisees he calls you hypocrites for you pay the tithe of mint and and anus and coming and have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment mercy faith these ought you have done not to leave off the other Don't uh, don't leave that undone, but don't focus on the the smaller issues of life. I've witnessed churches whose memberships split over matters of spiritual insignificance, you would call them, as he did there, the gnat-sized things, and yet refuse to deal with the weightier matters. We have to first determine God's priority. What is of importance? What is acceptable to God? Let's stick with that. Can I show you what they are? They're right there in verse 17. See them? Right? Three things in the last part. Our missionary mentioned it this morning. The first thing he mentions there back in chapter 14, verse 17, the last part of it, righteousness. It's personal character. That's what's important. You know, lots of illustrations about character, what you do when people aren't looking. But however you think of it, personal character is what is more important than other issues of life. How about peace? That's being peaceable, a peaceable spirit, peacemaker, not a troublemaker. You know somebody who has a problem with that, just seems like they're striking up a fight with every person that they meet? That's an issue you better deal with. Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And joy, this is the one our wonderful missionaries mentioned this morning, joy, gladness. Did you know that gladness and joy is the thing that is necessary to serve God? Do you want to serve God? then don't be such a grump, right? God doesn't need somebody to come in here and tell everybody what's wrong with everything. Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. It is the single most important thing if you would serve the Lord, joy, gladness. Each of us must seek to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Jesus never sought to please people, in hope that he might glorify God. Jesus always sought to please God in hope that you might be glorified together with him. The kingdom of God, literally the authority of God, is not measured or maintained or somehow enhanced by the institution of rules and regulations that God himself never authored. God's position on all matters is one of strength. It is not secured by you and me adding yet another rule of order for the kingdom of God. is not about meat and drink. These are matters of doubtful disputation, personal preference. If Christians would only seek to yield more to the Holy Spirit, major on a godly life, I believe most conflicts would be resolved before they ever arose. That you and I always agree on every given subject is not necessary but that you and I always seek for that level ground which is nearest to the cross of Jesus Christ, that is most necessary. Standing there, we realize how silly that argument was, how foolish that personal preference that I made such an issue when I'm standing at the foot of the cross. In John chapter 8, I won't turn to it, but in John chapter 8, there's a circumstance of an obvious wrong. There can be no question about this woman, She is brought before Jesus, taken in an obvious wrong. I think they have pictures. It's probably in some tabloid newspaper. The rumors have gotten all around. It is obvious what she has done in John chapter 8. And so the accusers bring her to Jesus, and Jesus said simply this, Whoever is without sin may cast the first stone. When people come into contact with the church, I want to know one thing. Do you share with them the rules of our church? Or do you share with them the love of Jesus Christ? To understand that when somebody bumps into my life, the first thing they ought to become aware of is that I love Jesus. Not that I have more rules than them, not that I'm somehow more righteous than them, but for the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And to be able to embrace someone, accept someone, and say, now go and sin no more. Doesn't mean we overlook it. Remember, God commendeth his love toward us. He accepted us. in the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I think that such an understanding and acceptance of one another will then change our approach. Our approach to one another. Verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another for meat. Don't destroy the work of God. That is for your preference, the doubtful disputation. Don't destroy the work of God for that. And all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine or any other thing whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Churches are filled today. In fact, You've heard me say before, and I think it's true, statistics seem to suggest that 80% of all church growth is simply Christians changing from one church to another. And do you know why most Christians change from one church to another? It's not doctrinal issues. It's personal preference. Churches are filled with them today. People who are there for one reason, the church seems to fit their style. Well, we approach one another with the love of Christ. The typical young Christian or curious unbeliever will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. Evangelism and discipleship coupled together with love, not law, carried out with grace, not guilt. If you need more structure in your life, don't join Marcus Hook Baptist Church. Go join the military. If you need more guilt in your life, don't join the church. Join a monastery. If you need a place of forgiveness and acceptance, receive Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven. Now I'm a fundamentalist, but there was a day when that was or has become, I suppose, an ugly term that people want to shy away from, but not because I have more rules than the other guy. I'm a fundamentalist because of the literal interpretation of God's Word and the personal application of what it says to my life. That's a fundamentalist. But in attempting to define fundamentalism the approach has often become an issue of conformity, uniformity. There was a generation of fundamentalist legalism which was a one-size-fits-all approach as they tried to define what is right and what is wrong But whenever you do that, I guarantee you are defining it based upon the personal preferences of today. It is some passing fad. So when the dress changes, suddenly we make a lot of rules that says that's not the dress for a Christian. Then the dress changes, and so what has to change? Our rules now have to change. Remember that staircase that I shared with you last week? used to be on Pennsylvania Avenue. Built by a man with one leg shorter than another. Remember that. Remember that illustration. And so he ended. Up, and all you end up with when you make rules based upon our personal preferences, all we end up with is a bunch of people with the same personal preferences as ours, and nothing any better. For example, when a child is born into a home, do the individuals of the home make any changes in their decorations? Let's say absolutely because see the child doesn't understand the difference between plastic and glass so you just put things out of the reach for a time rather than making a lot of rules and telling a two-year-old no all the time because that's just not the way to raise them is it so you just know that you just don't do that you just put it out of reach for a while for now it's just not necessary and your home may not look as pretty as you want it to look and things will be a little different than you would like them to be eventually, but you do it for sake of this young person now in your home. Then as the child matures, rules and regulations are adjusted to accommodate the child's maturity. And so you might make a rule in your home of, you know, a a child, a two-year-old, you don't let them run through the house with scissors, right? You just, that's kind of a rule of thumb. But let's imagine for a minute that because you have a child in your home, you made a rule. And you hung it over your front door and you said, no scissors in this house. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? That's about how foolish it seems when somebody might come into our church and over some door we said, you shall wear, you shall look like, you should, and we put a rule over the door that says, no scissors allowed in this house. You see how silly things like that seem? In fact, that's a pretty good judge, by the way, of making a, a principle Rather than a rule, understanding it's a principle, can it be universally applied? No scissors? No, you can't universally apply that. That is simply a rule that you make for an exception of a circumstance and probably a personal preference. Another example, quite understandable, if a, if a, if a, if a, a toddler stumbles and falls, then we, you know, we might clear it out a little bit, maybe a little sharp edges, and we, we, but that's understandable, right? We accept that. If an adult, a grown adult, is stumbling and falling, do the same rules apply? No. See, there's a whole other set of circumstances. But imagine how foolish it would be if because children stumble and because older people stumble, we said everybody who stumbles has to use a walker. And then we'd have a little two-year-old that never learns to walk correctly because we've made a rule. Rules tend to make people dependent upon that rather than upon the Lord. So when somebody stumbles and falls, do we run to them with a rule and we say, here, use this to help yourself? Or do we reach out our hand in grace and love and we say, here, lean on me. A brother-to-brother relationship. That's what it's about in the church. Well, just be careful not to create a rule that says, all unsteady people must carry a walker. Young Christians need the kind of care and fellowship that will help protect them and encourage them along the way. Finally, in these matters of doubtful disputation or matters of personal preference, our fellowship can be edified or built up as we seek to make allowance for one another. Allowance for one another. Verse 22 Do you have faith in this matter? Then just have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing that he allows. And he that doubts is damned if he, eat, if he eats because he eateth not of faith, for whatever is not of faith is sin. Don't for, force your opinions on others, but rather seek out, thus saith the Lord. On matters of personal opinion, if you can participate in full assurance of faith before God, then fine. Just keep it to yourself and don't hang it on everybody else. I must not force my personal convictions on another. They can't borrow from my convictions But rather, allow for each of us to come to our own understanding of what God's Word says. Anything less is going to stifle the very thing for which we desire edification, building up, building up the body of Christ. Most people think that more rules will strengthen the body of Christ, when in reality, more rules only tend to keep us more condemned. Did Jesus Christ come to make more rules? Oh, you don't even know the answer to that? Did Jesus Christ come to establish more rules? No. Absolutely not. He came not to condemn the world, right? Because he knows that there are enough rules in the Bible already to make sure that everyone knows they are condemned already. So he didn't come to make more rules. He didn't come to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be what? Saved saved in the government we say you can't legislate morality it's the one place i agree you're right and you know what you can't legislate morality in the church either i know it'd make you feel more comfortable if everybody looked the way you did everybody acted the way you did everybody cut their cheesecake the way you did or whatever it is you know whatever thing you've got a preference of i i know you'd feel more comfortable that way but if you if you live your life that way you'll just end up with people that cut their cheesecake the same way as you. So, what, what preference, what great thing has that done? We're not looking for public conformity, private convictions. By the way, marriages don't fall apart because of what you do in public when you're following the rules on Sunday morning, do they? They, follow, they fall apart because of what you do in private when no one is looking. Your relationship with Christ is far more dependent upon what you do in private, character, character, than what you do in public on Sunday morning when you're following the rules. I can give you principles of love and marriage but your marriage won't look exactly like mine. I can give you principles whereby you can live your life according to the Word of God and still your life will look different than mine. Right? And that's okay according to the Word of God. First Corinthians 12 Paul said not everybody's a preacher, not everybody's a healer, not everybody has a gift of tongues but we all must love the Lord. Mark chapter 12, Jesus said the greatest command is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, on the basis of love we can expect, even allow for some variation in matters of personal conviction. Illustration, I close. Many years ago in a youth, uh, youth group I had, remember that, remember that story about the dice, playing with dice? Same family. So I'm planning a, uh, uh, an Awana event, a theme night, all right? We're going to have a dress-up night around Halloween only. We're not going to let them dress up like goblins. We're going to say, we're going to give prizes based on those who dress up most like Bible characters. So if I can guess who this Bible character is, and we'll, we'll bring them in, and I have to think about Bible characters. We'll have them all dress up, and I send out promotions. I thought, this is a great idea. And when the promotions went out, I get a call from this guy. I can't believe you're promoting devil worship. Well, I was a bit naive then, you understand, as I still am, I suppose. And I tried to offer some explanation. And he said, well, that's the lie of the devil. And I was like, okay, well, and I just, I had nothing to say. Now, my knowledge, and I think yours too, your knowledge would know that dressing up like a Bible character doesn't mean that I'm buying into the lie of the devil. Now, maybe there's some problem with trying to Christianize Halloween or something, and you want to stay away from that. But you know what would have been better for this guy to have followed the first 12 verses of this chapter in the master-servant relationship? And if he's got a conviction about something, it would have been better for him to have held that conviction, only as it says here, to himself, right? He's the master of his life. If he wants to tell his kids, you're not going to dress up for Halloween, I don't want my kids dressed. His theory, by the way, was we should not encourage kids to dress up as something other than who they are. Okay, I understand that principle, I get that. But he should have held that to himself, I think. Now, on the other side, my knowledge says addressing dressing up like a Bible character doesn't mean that I'm promoting devil worship, right? And if I would have just only held that knowledge and said, we're going to do it anyway, would that have helped the fellowship? No. So I nixed it. It was not a big deal. I didn't really care. We changed it to um, Color Night. I think we do that one, Color Night. Just come dressed as your favorite team, or, or uh, you know, wear your uniform for school, or, or come with your uh, your football uniform on. And we just because that's you can't say that's not who we are. I mean, you're dressing up like that all the time, so we let them do that. I kind of got away with it, and it was okay. But you understand how matters of personal preference can create such division. For the church, we could have stood our ground, but it would have made it silly too. Perhaps Romans 12, verse 10, maybe write that down, a good verse. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another, in brotherly love, preferring one another. But it all hinges on first having accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior who himself came not into the world to condemn the world or to establish more rules, but that the world through him, his love, his forgiveness might be saved. The purpose of the church is not to condemn or tear down one another, but to build up one another and love to edify one another. When people, when the world at large bumps into our church, when they bump into your life, what is the first thing they know about you? That you love Jesus? That you love Jesus? How else will the world ever know that we are disciples of Christ if they don't first know that we love one another? Brother-to-brother relationship, very important. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the person sitting next to you? Down the end of the aisle, somebody you're looking at the back of their head right now. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You don't let it go. You got to let it go for Christ's sake. Do you know Jesus? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I just give you that invitation again. I'll extend the invitation to you right now. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, Christians, are you praying? Are you more worried about how somebody has offended you? Are you praying for the unsaved? Pray for them right now. Maybe somebody who was listening by radio, but is there somebody here in the audience right now? You slipped in today, and, you, and I don't know you. I, I don't know the condition of your heart right now. You're a good person. I mean, you're in church when, you know, everybody on a motorcycle is leaving town, evidently. But you're in church this morning, right? So you're, a, you're better than the national average, but that's not my concern. You're saved or lost upon one thing, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, my Savior. Do you love Jesus? So here's the question. If you say, Pastor Jim, I'm trying my best, I'm, doing, I'm trying it my very hardest to do and change and be a better whatever, but I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Would you just lift your hand just for a moment so I can pray for you? You say, Pastor Jim, I have never accepted Jesus Christ. Never. I want to do that today. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there somebody like that? Pastor, would you pray for me? Christians are praying. Pastor, would you pray for me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. Draw us close to the foot of the cross where everything else seems so very frivolous and silly. Help us to let it go for love and for sake of one another. Brotherly love. Consider one another how we affect them, cause stumbling, how we can reach others who don't know Christ, not by our rules, but by our love. May they know beyond all other things we may do. May they know that we love Jesus and love one another. We ask this in Christ's name, and amen. Well, um... Again, a thank you to our missionaries who are with us today. I I hope that you'll say hello to them, give them a greeting. Uh, Very active in these retirement years. We appreciate so very much all the travels, them even taking the time to come see us as they're headed on to see family and then on to Japan. There is a fellowship after the service this morning. It's no longer a surprise, so you can come, but it's for Don and Alice, right? And so it's your anniversary anniversary. Maybe maybe you're not married or you've just been married a few years and you want to know how in the world they do it. Come over to the luncheon and during dessert sit and talk to Alice and Don and he'll say it's all her and she'll say it's all her and (laughs) I I couldn't resist. Tonight is six o'clock, some wonderful missionary information from Annette Torres, Amanda McCoy. I hope you'll come back. God bless you. I'll see you next door.